Well, we've just sung Psalm 23. If you would, join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm 23, where we'll be together for the next few minutes. Children, I've got a question for you all. What is the most famous, most well-known verse, probably, in all the Bible? The most well-known verse in all the Bible. Would anybody agree with me? John 3.16, right? Right, John 3.16. Well, what about the most well-known chapter in all the Bible? What could be the most well-known chapter, the most famous chapter? Yes, Psalm 23, I heard it. For good reason, Psalm 23 is the most well-known and well-loved, most famous and most familiar. Psalm 23 really does stretch the breadth of life, doesn't it? It is on the lips of the very young, the young who are just learning to speak before they can even write. They may have already memorized Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is also on the lips of the old in their last days, maybe their last hours, Maybe it's the very last words they speak in their earthly life. Could be their last breath are taken up with the words of Psalm 23. Now in between these two points of birth and death, Psalm 23 occupies a prominent place both in the private worship of God, us as individuals and as families, but also in the corporate and public worship like here at Grace and Peace. It's, there's a good reason Psalm 23 is so prominent. The six verses of Psalm 23 are full of confidence and trust in the Lord. Now, because Psalm 23 is so well-known, so familiar, I found it to be quite intimidating to prepare. There's a lot of good resources out there. Almost everyone has written something about Psalm 23. And even, as I mentioned earlier, the entire theme of this month's Table Talk magazine is The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, pick up a copy and spend this month really in some some depth and detail in Psalm 23, you will be encouraged. Well, I was wrestling with this psalm. Uh, I I changed, uh, in fact, late yesterday, early this morning. Uh, The title is no longer the protection and provision of his presence, although that is certainly true as we will see. But the new title and the direction we're headed is a personal confession of faith, a personal confession confession of faith in view of the three I shall and I will statements. As we look to God's word, let's look to him in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we approach Psalm 23 today, which may be familiar to many of us, if not all of us, Father, would you be pleased to take us deep and wide into your glorious truth? Father, would you open our ears to hear you speak? Would you open our eyes to see your truth? Would you open up our minds to to know and understand? Would you open up our hearts to embrace? And would you strengthen our 
hands and feet to fight the good fight of faith and to run the race that is set before us. Father, be pleased now to strengthen your people through your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're here at Psalm 23, one of the 150 songs and prayers of ancient Israel, the hymn and prayer book for the church as well. Martin Luther calls the Psalms a little Bible, a miniature Bible. And as we've been hearing over the past few weeks, John Calvin in his introduction to his commentary says of the Psalms that it's an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And lately we've been looking at grief and sorrow and disappointment and fear. But there's also hope and trust and confidence. Yesterday morning during our time of prayer with the men of the church, we uh, looked at a short article entitled, Why Do We Pray? Why Do We Pray? And in it, um, we, uh, we read this short article, um, again, Why Do We Pray? And I want to read uh, tip number two, which was under the heading, So Then, How Do We Pray? If Psalms is a prayer book for the church, this is a great question to ask. How do we pray? And this is what the author David Pallison says. Tip number two in how do we pray. Be specific. The Bible's narrative stories come to life because of the details that are present. The details make the stories rich and human. A perfect theater for the revelation of God in whose image we are made. By contrast, the Psalms take the opposite strategy. The Psalms, by and large, strip away the details. The Psalms can be used to reflect on who God is, but it is also helpful to turn a Psalm into prayer. For the most part, within the Psalms, you are given patterns of experience that you can fill with your specific details of life. The Psalms are general and open so that your life experience can be placed in them. Your purpose is to populate the Psalms with your life experience. Over the centuries, our spiritual forebears have done this with the Psalms. And the Psalms are meant to be alive for us. Psalm 23 is a great example of making the Psalms your own. All scripture is profitable, is it? For teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness. And Psalm 23 is no exception. Last week we were in Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. In that psalm we were in the depths of a dark night of the soul. But we saw that transition, that mysterious transition to the dawn of a new day. And then there was praise at the end of Psalm 22, individual praise on behalf of David, then corporate praise from God's people Israel, and then to a worldwide praise. Well, Psalm 23 picks up where Psalm 22 left off in terms of praise. Psalm 23, we will see, is a unified psalm with two major metaphors, two major figures of speech, uh, word pictures that represent something. And those two metaphors are that of shepherd and that of table. Shepherd and table. And there are three relationships in Psalm 23. The sheep 
and the shepherd, the traveler and a companion or a friend, and the guest and the host. Psalm 23 and Jesus. Let's make a a word before we begin. Uh, Bringing Jesus into Psalm 23 does no violence to Psalm 23. In fact, it rather does justice. You heard earlier in Ezekiel 34. I want us to turn back to Ezekiel 34 and hear these words again of verses 21 through 24. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Children, what does that sound like? It's a promise. It's an Old Testament promise. A promise made. And we heard in John chapter 10. That promise kept. John chapter 10. Listen to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. It's also back in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Promises made. Promises kept. Now we don't need and we don't have time to go into all the ways that Jesus is our shepherd. For those of you with us in January of 2016, there was a sermon from John 10 called Jesus Our Shepherd. And it was part of a series called How Jesus Christ Runs His Church. What church government is and why it matters. And we saw in great detail that Jesus as King, Jesus is also shepherd. Well, let's move now into Psalm 23. Join with me as I read Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence and trust, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Psalm 23 is a personal confession of faith. And this personal confession of faith, I believe, has three chapters or three articles. Let's take a look at the first article. Article 1, I will lack nothing. Article 1, I will lack nothing. Verses 1 through 3. Here's the statement of faith. I shall not want. I shall not want. I will be satisfied. I will have no needs because they're all met. This wanting is not so much this desire as is, is we won't be lacking in what we truly need. Now that's the statement of faith. I shall not want. Well, why? What is the reason for that statement of faith? Why? 
because, and he says this right prior to that, the Lord is my shepherd. He starts off, David, with who the Lord is. He's describing the Lord as shepherd. And that was common in Israel, common in the ancient Near East to see the ruler, the king, as also a shepherd. In fact, in the scriptures, over 400 times are our sheep and flock. It's a vivid word picture. You see shepherd over 100 times in scripture. Let's, before we go on, just listen again. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, God's covenant name, Yahweh. When the, Moses asked, who do I say uh, sent me? He says, tell them I am. He revealed himself as a personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. I am. That's when you see Lord in all capital letters. It's his personal name. But as one commentator uh, may, makes an interesting point, he said, it's a title, but, but there's a personal name within that title. The Lord, He has made Himself known to His people. So the Lord, even though making Himself known, Moses, all know that He is the high and mighty One who has nonetheless made Himself known. And here, David, the author, is saying, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, even though the kings of the ancient Near East did have that role as shepherd of the people, and you saw it in the leaders of Israel were to be shepherds, nonetheless, the day-in, day-out work, the 24-7, 365-day-a-year work of the shepherd was lowly, low-wage, in the rough, in the weather, in the dirt, The high and mighty one who has made himself known is my shepherd. David brings those two together. And what does the Lord provide? Because I will lack nothing. The rest of the psalm is is an expansion on that. All that follows is going to help us understand what it means that I shall not want. You see in the first Three verses, uh, the provision of abundant life. There are four descriptive phrases that really do convey the work of the shepherd. We see, first of all, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Think ancient Israel. Think Israel today, arid, dry. And yet the shepherd leads his sheep to the good places, the pasture. He leads me beside still waters, literally the waters of rest. He restores my soul. There's the idea of rescue, of revival, of redemption. Words that can describe salvation. And He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Paths of righteousness can connotate a moral quality like righteousness, but also the right paths, the, the right road to go to get to where you need to go. And he says he does this in particular, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his character and the nature that his name represents. God is guarding his, his name, his reputation as he, as he uh, provides this abundant life. And I want us to notice before we go on, right from the beginning, right from the beginning is rest. 
restoration, guidance. Right off at the beginning is rest. Isn't that interesting? God, I believe here, wants us to know that a relationship with Him means rest. Right off the bat, stop your striving. Come to me, all who labor, and you will have rest for your souls. The psalmist could have come up with any number of ways to start off, and he says, to begin with, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. You know, one of the reasons why the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day, going from the Sabbath being a Saturday to the Lord's Day Sunday, is a record of Jesus' resurrection, the the early church gathered on the Lord's Day, but also it's a reminder um, that, that we rest at the beginning of the week. Isn't that amazing? God gives us rest at the end of the week, sure. You see that in, in the, uh, the Ten Commandments. But here, rest begins. You hear these words read. You read these words for yourself. But do you believe them? I mean, really, do you believe these? Can you make this declaration yours now? Can this confession of faith, can you make it? I mean, can you in all honesty tell yourself that the Lord is your shepherd, that He really does give you rest? He really does take you to clear clear water. He, he really does restore your soul. He leads you. He guides you. Can you, is this confession yours? Well, this first article in this personal confession of faith is the acknowledgement Because Yahweh, because the Lord is His shepherd, He will not lack anything He needs. However, the second article does speak of a lack, interestingly. Specifically, a lack of fear. Verses 4 and 5, I believe, are article 2. I will fear no evil. Article 1, I will lack nothing. Article 2, I will fear nothing no evil. There is danger as we will see, but there is no fear. What is the statement of faith? Again, it's verse 4, I will fear no evil. I've been reminded recently that probably the the most prevalent command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You hear it in the Old Testament. You certainly hear it in the New Testament from the the words, from the lips of Jesus over and over again. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And why can that statement be made? What is the reason for faith? Because, look with me at verse 4, for you are with me. You are with me. Earlier it was because of who the Lord is. He's the shepherd. Here it's where the Lord is. The Lord is being is described as being present with me. The shepherd is among his flock. There is no remote control shepherding. There is no um, shepherding by drone. There is 
up-close-and- personal shepherding. And we even see that in the move from the third person. You know how the psalmist said it. He does this. He does that. Now, beginning in verse 4, it's you. You. It's a shift. It's a growing intimacy. The, the center and anchor of Psalm 23 is you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. Um, Paul picks up on this in, Rome, in Philippians chapter 4. Some of you may have even, like I did in the middle of the night, had to quote this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And what does Paul say next? The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He goes on, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My friends, for years, for years, I looked at that passage and I went right over. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. That's the reason for no anxiety. That's the reason why there's peace. Because the Lord is with you. There is comfort from the presence of the Lord. The paths of righteousness, the right paths, sometimes, as we all know, lead through the valley. Here, the valley of the shadow of death. Literally, a deep darkness. A deep darkness. In the presence of the Lord, however, the psalmist fears no evil, no death. And death is that evil intruder into the world. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, here's an illustration. Um, it may seem trivial, but it means a lot to me. Uh, we do a lot of work um, with Staples, Copy and Print Center. And Staples does a great job with the bulletin. And I will often call to find out who's working. And if it's Diane, the head of the Staples print and marketing, I am completely at ease, at rest. Because I know what she can do, and I know she does it well. But when Diane is not working, and she's not trained somebody, I'm a little bit nervous. Will it turn out right? So when, I, when Diane is working, all is well. When she's not working, I got a little bit of a concern. Pick the illustration. All is well when you know someone is with you. Children, what do you often ask your parents? What do you ask your parents? Come, help me, be with me, go with me, right? It's a natural human wiring. We want someone with us. Soldiers in battle. One of the reasons they don't back down in the face of withering fire is they don't want to let down the person on their right or left. They are not in the battle alone. They are with someone. The psalmist David is communicating the comfort from the presence of the Lord. All is well because the Lord is with him. 
And the presence of the Lord brings with it comfort from the protection of the Lord. Look with me. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not only the Lord as shepherd with David the psalmist, but the Lord brings with him two things. A rod, protection from the outside threats, the threats of others. In terms of a sheep shepherd, it's the wolves, it's the intruders, it's those who would cause damage and harm to the flock. And it's a short, close-in combat weapon. It's a rod. Danger from the outside, but there's also a staff, a longer piece of gear. That, that shepherd's staff with the crook used for guidance, it also is used to rescue the sheep from themselves. Right? The sheep get themselves into trouble. And the staff protects the sheep from themselves. And it's comforting. It's comforting that the shepherd is well equipped with a rod and a staff. You see a provision for a secure life, but now into verse 5, you also see the provision of an abundant life. We see you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The psalmist is now the honored guest in the presence of the host of a meal. It's, it's going from the, 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 the pasture and the fields to this table setting. And there's a growing degree of intimacy. Because you know that when you meet someone for a meal, like downstairs in the fellowship hall, when you meet them at a restaurant, it's a sign of intimacy. Uh, strangers don't really eat together. Friends eat together. And where is this table set? In the presence of enemies. In the presence of enemies. Uh, this may have something to do with David in 2 Samuel 17 when some friends of his provided a meal as David was facing difficulty. It may allude to that, but as David Pallison said earlier, the details are sparse so we can map our own lives onto the Psalms. In the presence of enemies, remember that peace with God means war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. When someone is at peace with God, they are automatically at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have enemies, and yet there is table fellowship. There is communion with the Lord in the midst of the battle, in the presence of our foes and enemies. And in there, there are two images of oil on the head, literally made fat with oil. It's a description of God's blessing, and you can see that theme in Scripture. And then there's the image of the overflowing cup, Literally, the saturated cup. Yesterday, we were caught out in the rain and the ground was saturated in a heartbeat and water overflowed. Usually, that's not good. But here, the overflowing is wonderful. The psalmist is expressing joy and delight. I'm, I, I, uh, I shall not want, not only I shall not want, but my cup is overflowing. There is an abundance. We are in fellowship with the Lord even while surrounded by enemies. How's your fellowship with the Lord right now? 
Do you have that sense that you are in an intimate relationship with the Lord or is it distant? It's tough to sit at the... I mean, it's not going to be a long table. It's going to be a close table. And the psalmist is delighting in his intimacy and communion with the Lord. Well, from these first two articles in this first in this personal confession of faith, we see that the presence of the Lord as the shepherd and as the host, with that there is abundant provision and impregnable protection. Psalm 23 concludes with a sure and certain statement, a confident confession of faith. And so verse 6 is article 3. I will live forever. I will lack nothing. We heard earlier, the second one was, I will fear no evil, and now I will live forever. What's the statement of faith? And it's, it's at the end. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what is the reason for that faith? Why? Earlier he says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life. I want to spend a moment talking about the pursuit of goodness and mercy. Not our pursuit of them but their pursuit of us. A better translation, a more accurate, a more vivid translation is not so much, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, but goodness and mercy shall pursue me, shall chase me. And it even has the idea of being persecuted. Persecuted by goodness and mercy. Um, how many of you all have ever seen the blue lights in the rearview mirror? Yes? And you've got to make a decision, right? Do you step on the gas or step on the brake, right? What most of us do probably is we find a place to pull over, right? But here's the idea that you're not pulling over. You're headed home, you're on the road, and you are being pursued by a, a state trooper by the name of goodness and his partner, mercy. Oftentimes when we're chased, and let me tell you, anybody ever been chased and your heart beats because it's danger? My friends, this is not that kind of chase. This is a chase that is good. It's a, a blessing. Um, goodness. God is good. I looked up goodness in the Bible 22 times. About 20 times it's about God's goodness. And the other two times it is the goodness that he gives to us from himself. And mercy. Should be familiar. It's God's covenant faithfulness. His loving kindness. His steadfast love. Interestingly, Paul brings together this expression. The goodness and mercy together in his letter to Titus. He says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Think about that. The goodness and mercy, excuse me, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul is picking up on this pursuit of goodness and mercy and saying that it's come in the person and work 
of Jesus. And we end with dwelling in the house of the Lord. And it's an already and a not yet. You're already dwelling in the house, but you're not there yet. So you were at the restaurant, as it were, with the Lord. And now you're in the Lord's house. It's one thing to meet in a restaurant for a meal. It's another thing to be invited into the home. It's a greater degree of intimacy, a greater degree of fellowship. And here we see what is a theme from Genesis to Revelation, living in the presence of the Lord. I will be your God, you will be my people. The dwelling of God is with man. Do you long to be in the presence of the Lord? Are you overjoyed that the Lord is with you? Or if you're like me at times when you're, you're, you're battling sin and sin's got the upper hand, the last thing you want is the Lord, right? Perfect righteousness, glory, light, and you're dabbling in darkness. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Is that your longing? Is that my longing? David is confident I shall, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's Psalm 23 on the back of a t-shirt. No lack, no fear, no ending. No lack, no fear, no ending. And here it is in a tweet. We have no lack of anything we truly need. We have no fear of evil overtaking us and we have no end to our life with God. Now, as we listen to, read, study, memorize, and meditate on Psalm 23, we will increasingly display this in our lives and increasingly be an encouragement to others as we follow this shepherd. Well, we need to wrap up, and we're going to wrap up by going back to how Jesus fulfills Psalm 23 in his person and in his work as both shepherd and sheep. It's clear Jesus is the shepherd, his, his divinity, but also Jesus is fully human. There's an aspect that Jesus is the sheep as well. He is both the object of this and he is the singer. He is the shepherd. We saw that in John 10, but he's also the sheep, the sheep who would be cared for by his father, but who would also be the one sacrificial lamb needed to take away the sin of the world as John the Baptist saw. You see, my friends, as Jesus sings this psalm, we see that he walked through the ultimate valley of the shadow of death, the darkness of the condemnation of hell that should have fallen on us. And because he did that in our place and on our behalf, we can know that despite our travel through the valleys of being sinned against, as well as our own sin and failures, Jesus will safely lead us home. I want to very quickly do a second reading of Psalm 23 when we see Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. When we see Jesus as the Lord. Let's reread Psalm 23 in light of Jesus as shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus says, come to me and, and find rest. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He rescues me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I, I follow Jesus. He leads me in the right way home. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because Jesus is with me. He's with us. And indeed, He's got the armament to protect others, us from others and us from ourselves. Jesus prepares a table before me. He does that at the Lord's Supper in the presence of our enemies. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper here in a sinful and fallen world. He's anointed our head with oil. Our cup overflows. He has blessed us beyond blessing. He pursues us with His goodness and mercy. It chases us all the days of our life until we are finally and fully in the house that He has prepared for us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement and brother of the hymn writer Charles Wesley, of whom there are many hymns of Charles Wesley in our hymnal, on his deathbed in February 1791, I want you to listen to this description. This is of John Wesley's last minutes alive. He grasped their hands and said, Farewell, farewell. As others entered the room, he tried to speak, but finding they could not understand him, he summoned all his remaining strength and cried out, The best of all is, God is with us. Then lifting up his dying arms in a token of victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph, not to be expressed, he again repeated the heart-reviving words, the best of all is God is with us. My friends, will you be able to say that as your earthly life ends? God is with me? Are you able to say that now? God is with me. Indeed, the center and the anchor of Psalm 23 is found in verse 4. For you are with me. And the Lord, the one true and living God, is with His people in Jesus Christ. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, may Psalm 23 be for all of us a personal confession of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, God is with us. And in Christ, His love for us will never fail. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for these familiar words. We pray and ask that You would be pleased to enable us to anchor and secure our lives to the good news that You are with us. You have come to your people through your Son. Oh Father, as we all here walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that shadow that is sometimes heavy, sometimes light, but nonetheless it is there. Oh Father, would you enable us to rest in the secure good news 
of Jesus being with us and Jesus being able to subdue all his and our enemies and able to bring us safely home. Oh, Father, we give you thanks that you are with us in Christ and that his love for us will never fail. And we pray in his name. Amen.